<laughs> and I think like, honestly, not everybody buys that. Not everybody buys yeah. that there's a difference between what I want and what's best for me. Yeah. And and I think it's a limiter to the maturity of, the, of everybody. So when you're describing that situation, I'm like, well, what is actually best for the person? It's not, hey, I found the cushiest, safest thing. Is that what's best for me? No. And part of this comes back like, you know, I believe in absolute truths. I believe there's absolute moral values. Um, our ability to grasp them is complicated and difficult. But if you're not ever able to stand on principle when you see something wrong, I actually think that's not just bad for your organization, that's also bad for you. Welcome to Building Better Games, where we dive into what matters most in game development, leaders, and culture. Your hosts are Aaron Smith and Benjamin Carsage. Aaron and Ben are two veteran game industry leaders who have served a global audience of gamers and want to change how games are made. Welcome back, everybody, to Building Better Games. Today, we're going to jump into a little more on management. We're going to talk about our four principles for management and some uh, maybe some controversial stuff around how we see the big picture. Um, this is a, I think this is a special topic for Ben and I for a couple of reasons. One of them is um, this idea of the role of the manager as a quintessential element in how somebody perceives their job. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's sort of a. Well said. It's a colloquialism that you don't quit your job, you quit your manager. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and why we think that this is so important and that the skills and principles around management are so integral. I think it is probably the case that anybody who's listening to this, us included, can remember a time where they had a really terrible manager and maybe remember a time where they had a really good manager and how game-changing each of those scenarios can be. So we're going to talk more about that. Yeah. So first, uh, as we kick things off, first we're going to start uh, by talking about the backdrop, which is, as a, what does it actually mean to be a manager? Getting beyond just the, the things you need to do, the tactics, the techniques, what does it actually mean and who are you accountable to? Because Ben and I see this somewhat differently. Yeah, and for me, I, I just I want to make sure people are tracking. When we say manager in this case, we're not talking about like a line manager necessarily. We mean your boss. It's a, a people manager, someone who has a direct report. Um, and so, what is their role? How do they relate? And um, you know, for me, this was an area we we just kind of came up. We come up with a lot of these right before we do them. Uh, kind of talking through, hey, what are the principles? Where do we align where do we not and one where we didn't align on this um was in some i would say like it's what's the core statement perhaps of, of how you approach a direct report when you are their manager when you're their boss um and my my stance on this um it relates to my stance on actually a lot of life but it's very much that as a manager your relationship with your direct report is one that is about the direct report and their success regardless of company and other things. So you are interested in them being successful as a person, them going on the journey they want to go on. 
Um, and insofar as that's valued with the company, great. But if it turns out that for some reason, um, like one of my direct reports was, it seemed like they weren't actually well suited to the company or something like that, but not like we would fire them and they started looking around. I actually view it as, as part of my role to assist them in that. Um, not just with references, but actually like, Hey, I recognize that like, this isn't working out for you here. And, and if, if I really want them to stay, maybe I try to convince them to stay, but if they're really interested in moving on, I don't just drop them, you know, and I'm not saying anybody else would, um, but very much great. I'm excited for you. I'm excited with where you're going. I'm happy that you've, you're moving on to something more successful. So for me, there's this sense of, um, willingness to in sacrifice and be the less important from a success perspective member of the relationship that is key to being a, someone's people manager. And you want your direct reports to succeed and you want to be there for them wherever that path leads them. Um, and that's actually more important to you than the company and anything else. When you're in that relationship, you're expressing like one way, one of the ways to describe it is to use the uh, a Greek word for love, agape. Um, I, I truly want what is best for the other. Uh, and I think that's the stance that uh, a manager should be taking as it relates to their direct report. Yeah, I uh, call me an old fashioned capitalist or, or, or whatever. Um, I just don't agree with that take. And I, th I think it's worth noting that most of the individual things you've stated, I value mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, but like at the end of the day, the only reason we're there, like we're not that we're not having a social gathering. We're not there to like meet each other, have fun and, and make relationships. It doesn't mean you can't do all those things. It doesn't mean like it's not, you're not getting paid for your personal growth. You're getting paid because you contribute value to society in some way. And society has decided to compensate you for that. Mm -hmm. To be frank, and again, without going into a huge sidebar into a bunch of other topics, I think the idea that the primacy of your personal situation is, is more important or valuable than the service which you're providing is... Um, that's a modern notion and I, I find it to be really idealistic. And, and there's a reason why this matters because I actually think as a manager, you are accountable to the company first and foremost. Now, if the company steals or abuses people or oppresses people, um, that's fine. And again, this is what I mean when I say that Ben, you and I end up in the same area or the yeah. same place ultimately, like if the company is abusive to its employees, I'm not gonna side with the company. And one of the reasons I'm not gonna side with the company is because I believe that fundamentally the company being abusive to its employees is bad for the company. Mm -hmm. So like what that means is I'm gonna advocate as a manager or a leader within a company, I'm gonna advocate for what's best for the company even if the company doesn't acknowledge that or doesn't know that. And if that division, if that rift becomes great enough, I'm going to leave that company. I'm no longer gonna serve that company because that company frankly, doesn't know what's good for it. Mm -hmm. Like there's no scenario in which abusing your employees is going to create good business outcomes. So I guess my point is though, is as long as like we're above board here and we're not talking about ridiculous edge cases, um, 
we're here to add value, all of us. That is our primary objective here. Like, and again, I believe that employees or people, myself included, coming to work and being fulfilled, having purpose, having mastery, all these things are integral to the adding of that value. But the idea that like it's important enough standalone for me to just as a manager be like, I'm purely focused on your growth. I am purely an advocate for you. It's like, no, I'm advocating on behalf of the company because the company pays my paycheck and yours. Like that's the truth. And and it's not just about, again, like we're, we have to like sort of bow down to the company's objectives because the company pays us. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is we cannot abandon or forget about the hierarchy of needs here. Like we're in a privileged position. One of the, the, the elephants in the room when we talk about modern work that I feel like no one wants to acknowledge is that we are in a privileged position to be able to discuss worker rights or, or, or all of these lofty ideals we have around what it means to be a knowledge worker, what it means to be to be caretaked by your, caretaken by your employee and, and have mastery and purpose. And like we're, there's a reason we're just now talking about all this stuff. In the last 50 years, it's because we've satisfied the lower rungs of the hierarchy of needs to the point where we can think about loftier things now. But we can't, the moment you start forgetting that those layers are there, you start taking them for granted, is the moment that one day the proverbial electricity goes out and everybody just, the collapse of society happens, right? Um, so again, this is a little overtly philosophical and I apologize about that. But what I'm really trying to say is like, we're, we are there to do business, whatever that means for you, first and foremost. That's the thing that allows us to have these conversations is that mm-hmm. we're all collecting a paycheck and then we get to go home and pay our bills and presumably live, hopefully, a better than average life, right? Mm-hmm. So like the moment we start prioritizing the success of the company or the delivering of value to our audience secondary to our personal growth – I think we're missing something. And, and, and I think that that matters because I think every day we are presented with scenarios where we're, we're having to optimize a little bit. And, 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 and those principles do come into play with all these micro decisions that we make. And sometimes the reality is the truth that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge is sometimes you have to bust your ass and do what needs to be done, even if it's not the best thing for you and your career. And ironically, I think being able to make those kinds of decisions at times is exactly the thing that leads to the most growth over the long term. That I think that's where we end up in the same spot. The last statement you just yeah. said, because there is a point to put your head down and do a lot of work and it may not be all the work you wanted to do. And it may be your job as a manager to encourage <clears> a direct <throat> report to do that. And that's, that's where like one of the challenges with this, the concept of agape is like people confuse it with nice or just do what you want or well then the direct report makes all the calls and uh, that's not it it's it's wanting what's best for them and in, in some sense you know humility is really important in this you're trying to actually say that based on the values you have about the world i think that the way you become the best person is not through a, a life without adversity straight up it doesn't mean i generate adversity for you, though actually as a manager, sometimes you do. Sometimes mm-hmm. you do put someone in a little bit over their head to stretch them and grow them. Um, and 
being attentive to where they are and how they're coping with that and recognizing that as you're doing that, there's intention for that for the company and for the individual um, is very important. And, and so for me, I think it's it's one of those things where, you know, I'm not saying that as I as people go and manage, they're like, screw the company. I'm just here to help you succeed in your life to view it as a binary. And it's not. Yeah, it's that I think when push comes to shove. And you do get into the very rare, like I liked how you described when we were talking about this. There's like the Venn diagram of what you would actually do has like a 98% overlap, whether you prioritize um, the employee, the, the employee's well-being and, and sort of being in that caring, compassionate, fully loving, but challenging yeah. state of them first, and then the company's goals and success second. Because as you said, they're linked, right? If if we all go out and we just focus on the individual and the company fails because of that, we all lose anyway. Um, even if we've done a bunch of growing, um, because the thing that now we have to go find another job. Um, and and so whether you have them in one two or two one, right? Only in those edge cases are you going to run into like which one? And there I do. I, I well, I think tend- I think it's the case for you and me that it might only be edge cases. But again, there's so many different variations of that. There's um, incredible nuance and yeah. unbelievable nuance in this. There's a there's a personal side of this for you and I that we've confronted when we talk about this. Mike, I think for both of us, there's a part of the other person's perspective that's a little jarring. Like... I, when I hear you talk about at the end of the day, I'm in service to the individual and that's my primary priority. And, and, and at the most extreme version of that, you're like, I will trade off company things for that. I feel like there's a part of me that goes, oh no. Um, and there may be a, a similar feeling for you at times when you hear me get into like fire and brimstone mode about like, we got to get shit done and sure. yeah, yeah. you know, it's about goals and a practical story came up for me and I don't, I think I told you about this when it happened. It was really frustrating for me. And it's like, to me, it's a shining example of like how these different, how your prioritization matrix works that I had an employee. um, She was incredibly talented. One of the most high performing people I've ever managed. Um, I, I had a very high performing team at the time, which by the way, I was always very deliberate about building Mm-hmm. And the reason why was because I tended to work on very high priority shit, like stuff that if I went to the CEO or the president and I said, like, is, am I, am I of the understanding that this is like one of the top three most important things of the company? They would say, yes, absolutely. And so my feeling was, you know, I always like to have a high performing team. That was something always very important to me, but given the nature of the work, that was even more the case. It was also common that some of this work in addition to being the most high priority work at the company was also not like the sexy work. Mm. It was not like the the hottest work. Now there were people that were into that. I've always, for example, had more of kind of like an affinity with engineers and technical work. So I always enjoyed that more than a lot of people. Like a lot of people were like, I want to work on the game. I'm a game developer. I want to make the game stuff. I'm running into a situation where, where one of um, my reports wants to go move on to the game. Mm-hmm. And by the way, none of what I'm about to say is a reflection on her. She was amazing. And she was advocating for the things that she should have been advocating for. 
Um, where I was frustrated was the way the rest of the organization reacted to it. Justifiably, they looked at her and they said, she's too valuable for us to lose. Yep. Which was true. And we need to make sure she's accommodated. So if for her growth and what she wants to do, she needs to move over here. Now, again, if it is true that you that your choice is to move the person to a project where they're going to be happier or they will quit and they're extremely high performing, well, that's a pretty easy decision. But that is a reductionist way to look at things. Yes. And where I, what, the reason I was frustrated was I felt that I could have set up an incentive structure and the organization could have supported me in setting up one that would have made her focusing on the top priority stuff and doing what she was good at on the right things for the company was also the thing that advanced her career the most and grew her the most. Mm -hmm. And I had a plan for that. Unfortunately, I was not able to set that incentive up. And that to me was a big fail. And this is actually to me an exemplary or an, an example situation of where these things matter a lot. You know, there's, there's because some... it wasn't to me, it wasn't about her growth. Yeah. It, it was like her, we could have found a way in either scenario to service her growth, but what was not getting served was the company's priority. And, and, and so my, my reaction to the company was like, hey, guys, you need to make sure that yeah, this yeah. is lucrative for her, that this is exciting for her. Like, if you don't do that, that's the point, right? You can rationalize anything in any direction. You can, like, yeah. I, I don't mean that in a negative way. Sorry, rationalize sounds bad. You can come up with reasons for yeah. anything in any direction, right? Yeah, for so sure. You could have made a reason. You could come up with reasons why the right thing for her and the company is to move or the right thing for her and the company is to stay. And yeah. that's why, as I said, this is nuanced. Like what's two, one, what's one, yeah. two? One of the things that's popping up for me as you're talking is our biases. Yeah. Um, and when I think about you, I think of someone who career growth was always like a core part of what you were interested in. Um, and it, it's not just about a larger paycheck, but that's a piece of it. It's about the greater responsibility, the learning more, the becoming more capable. Mm -hmm. And when you're, and you were, when you were faced with situations where it's like, you can go do something you would really love. And you looked at that role and said, yeah, but I might not grow or have the same amount of organizational influence as I could have if I went to this other job that maybe I wouldn't like as much. You tend towards, I'm going to take the one with growth, the one that grows my influence, the one that grows um, my my role at the company. Well, there was another element to that too. You are correct. There's another element to that too, which is, and again, I think there's a bad side and a good side to this. Absolutely, to anything. Balancing out the you versus the company. Like I think in many cases, yes. what really was attractive to me was being the person that would step forward and say, I will do this thing. Right. I will I will sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed. And, and by the I'll way, it wasn't, it wasn't a martyr complex. It wasn't a martyr complex at all. It was a, I think sometimes when I took a few punches and I was on the ground bleeding, I might've developed a martyr complex. <laughs> then it becomes a, a grenade. Short period of time, but... I, that was never the intention. The intention when when they said, hey, we have this incredibly critical project. The house is on fire. We need somebody good. Who's willing? And a lot of people were like, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. I would step forward. And again, it wasn't about me. I felt that like I, – I think what it came down to is I felt lucky to be there. I felt mm – -hmm. 
humbled by the mentors that like stretched out their arm and took of their time and energy to turn me into whatever I was. Like, I, I think I felt that my willingness to step up in that situation and be like, hey, I'll help out. I'll do the right thing was part of the other side of the equation of all of the gifts that I had been. I think it really came from an immense sense of gratitude. And again, in some cases down the road, I came to regret those things and feel like, ah, you didn't really advocate for yourself the way you should have. Or this that was kind of naive the way you went into that. But like, I, I, I think it was because it's the same argument we're talking about right now. I think I was like, I get to be here because this company's successful. And if when this kind of stuff comes out, when the house is on fire, if there are no firemen and firewomen to put out the fire, then the house burns down and we're all out of a job. Right. So who's going to stand up? You know what I mean? And and now, again, there were times where I was very well compensated for that. Mm-hmm. And those times always felt good. It always made it worth it in the end. There were times where I was not compensated for that. And those are the worst times ever. When you stand up and you you put yourself out there and you make that sacrifice and then you're you not shot. rewarded for it in the end, or even worse to your point, you get shot or you get your head chopped off. That's about as horrible of a thing as can possibly happen. And again, that's an incentives conversation. But the point I'm making is like the reason why I think this sort of personal growth or employee growth, if you're a manager, yeah. versus what's good for the company they have to be both considered strongly. Yes. And I think that like there w- there the reason why I value company success first as my priority zero is because when company success stops happening, yep. you immediately no longer have the luxury of focusing on individual growth. Sure. Yeah. Period. Like, and, and so, so that, and to so me, that, that's the question though, for me, yeah. I, I, I asked the question then, so how do you maximally help the company succeed? And that's where it's like, it's one of those yeah. things. Um, if, if you focus on it, it goes away like in meditation and, and practices yeah. like that. There's a lot yeah. of that, yeah, you know, for sure. And it's the same thing of like, you know, everybody can read How to Win Friends and Influence People, which sounds like this book about manipulation. And then you read it and Dale Carnegie's like, you have to really care about people. And I think some people read that, like, well, especially like psychopaths, and they're like, got it. I have to pretend like I care about people, right? And I will <laughs> I will be excellent at acting like I care. And that doesn't actually work out long-term. There has to be a genuine care for the other person. And the trap is that if you know that and you know that that actually leads you to a better place and that other person to a better place, then it, you, you can actually undermine your own incentive for doing it. But it works best when it is pure in some – like, I, I, yeah. again, I don't want to get like pure, whatever. Like, but there is an ideal there of I care for you and I'm not actually worried about what the consequences of me fully caring for you are and showing you that – compassion, that love, that challenge, that support, trying to grow you and make you the best you can be. That's how you make the company most successful in my mind. And by the way, to expose my own bias, um, and it is different from yours, even though we ended up in many similar situations, yeah. um, there, there are many times where when I've looked at the path in my life coming out of the military, even in the military at Riot, where it was like, hey, this is like the sort of fast path to massive you know, promotions and money and and whatever and growth and influence. And like you said, for you, that was more 
these are the critical roles that the company really needs. And then there, there was like, or you can do this other thing that is very much in your wheelhouse that you're very interested in. It may not have the same company flair that this does. And I have been in both roles and realized that like, I do, I have a strong preference for the like, Hey, this is what I love to do. And I'm going to go do that. And if that means I don't get promoted as much, or I don't get as much influence, or I, you know, I'm not always working on the most important things. I'm okay with that because there's plenty of value I can add, um, in those positions and in those roles. And then what's interesting is how often some of those roles I end up still encountering situations that are, um, that at least feels sometimes existential to the company or, or whatever, or to, to a part of the company. And then I'm still willing to take the stand and, and I, and like stand on principle and uphold my integrity and whatever that is, I I hope. And when I'm, when I'm at my best, I'll say I'm, I'm, I'm able to do that. Um, but for me, when I see other people, that's, that's something that goes through my mind is, Hey, not everybody's interested in those sorts of roles. And you and I- You're talking about the critical roles. Yeah. You and and I were both firefighters. Well, and again- some some decent portion of our careers, but you were a firefighter far more than I was. There was a begrudging aspect to that. You know what I mean? It's not really about being a firefighter. I think the reason if I became a firefighter, it was because there was a chronic issue with fires- and I, for whatever reason, was willing to volunteer to firefight. Right. Um, and again, the reason always was fundamentally because I didn't want the house to burn down. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, again, there was, you know, at, yeah, at the company that I worked at for most of my career, there, there was a pattern of this. So, but so like, can I ask you a question? Yeah. So I have a statement that I tell people that I manage. And again, there's, boy, this one, probably a ton of different opinions mm-hmm. on it. I'm curious on, as to yours. I would tell people very clearly around negotiation, roles they're in, whatever else, hey, you don't owe the company anything and the company doesn't owe you anything. Yes. And people can take that way too far in the wrong direction. I just want to call out one big one. Fundamentally, the way I say this, I have my version of this too. And actually, Mr. Mr. Vukovic, who was a guest on our podcast a few months ago, was the first person I heard say this. Um, I view this transaction fundamentally as a transaction. And I think that interestingly enough, when you have companies that focus on rich culture, they try to elevate the relationship beyond that, which I think is a positive thing. But fundamentally, it's, you know, capitalism or whatever you want to call it, uh, value exchange is Mm -hmm. what our economic system is fundamentally, fundamentally based on. It's like going to the swap meet or whatever with your family on Saturday I'm sorry if you grew up in the inner city uh, in an upper middle class family and you have no idea what the swap meet is. I just realized that. I apologize. But it's like a big place where a bunch of people like – it's like almost like kind of like a bazaar where people sell trinkets and things like that. If you go and you see like a wooden chair that you want to buy, like no one's going to blame – the guy selling the chair for haggling you and trying to get you to pay more. And no one's going to blame you for trying to haggle down the price of the chair. And if you walk away and you're like, I'm not going to buy the chair, no one's going to blame you. If you get it for cheap and then the guy realizes he sold it to you for too cheap because you were a better haggler, no one's going to blame you for that either. So like fundamentally, 
that's what I hear when I hear you say the company doesn't owe you anything and you don't owe the company anything. Ultimately, there is like w- there is a business exchange that's occurring here. Right. Fundamentally, I, I work and and actually part of it to me comes back to the idea of responsibility. That is how both parties take responsibility for what for the contract yeah. for the relationship that they've entered into at a pure like you get my time and I get your money transaction because I, I, like a lot of people might can get very offended by this it's like what do you mean the company doesn't owe you anything the company owes you this and it's like no they don't owe it's it's basically they don't owe you anything that they're not already giving you because yeah. you agreed to work there and we work in an at will employment environment at least in the United States i think there's one thing that's missing there um and i think it's really important because when you enter into that kind of engagement with a company as an employee you're entering a relationship yes it's not it, there is a transactional element to it but it's an ongoing transactional element that's fundamentally nested in that relationship so no that it's in that relationship means that there's an opportunity and this is i think where the the sort of like honoring the company's goals and honoring what makes the company successful becomes extremely important because that's where the opportunity lies. Like we want to live in a world where somebody goes the extra mile and that helps the company be more successful and the company immediately rewards that. Yes. That's the perfect world to be in. Yes. And and this is this is where you and I diverge. I go bonus points if that also results in the growth of the individual, which I think it often does. Mm-hmm. Not always. But most of the time, I think a clever man with clever management and thoughtful placing of people, you can almost always get a win-win-win there, right? Mm-hmm. For everybody. Yes. Um, uh, which is actually a double win for the employee: more money, more title, more growth. Right. Right. Um, I think the other way around, I think, doesn't fully allow for some of that opportunity to be pursued. Like mm-hmm. and the example, the practical example again is. Hey, this might be the best thing for this person's happiness, whatever that means, or this might be the thing that they want to do, but like, it's not the most important thing. It's not the thing that's adding. We're actually taking them from a very high value thing and putting them on a much less high value thing. Now, again, it's not that binary, right? Like maybe they're happier. So they work three times as hard, but like, this wasn't the case in in this situation. Um, Like I thought about these things quite deeply. Um, this was about, I think, the company not being willing to encourage this person and incentivize them to to, to do what was actually in the company's best interests, and um, and that and that was and again and and again, I, I guess that maybe that's where the complexity is. Is yeah. like you're you the only win for you or me, despite the fact that we might have like. The two, positioning one, one, of the things might be different. Yeah, two yeah. one one two, is really just like we're still looking for win wins at the end of the day. Absolutely, like and, it's and, it's actually feels like a lose if it's not a win win. It exactly. has to be a win win. Yes, and that's and that's what you're like. There are again, there's nuanced edge cases. I don't even think the one you're talking about because we talked about. The, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you do. Yeah. We talked about that one. Yeah, um, and I agreed with you, um, and simultaneously there, there's a factor where it's like hey if this is the most important shit and we can't keep people focused on this we can't we can't make our best people feel good about themselves and their careers we have other by problems. doing this we have a huge problem here yes and this is that's where for me the you know you don't know the company thing i think most people today would agree with that yep you don't know the company not everybody's people are like hey no loyalty to the company and it, 
I mean, you've worked with me. Like I have loyalty to the company. I care about the company's success. I am not mm -hmm. someone who's just like, I'll sit in my lane and ignore the rest of the world and just do my job. Like if, if I think everything's on fire and it's a disaster, I'm, you know, I'm sticking my neck out and it has been chopped off a time or two. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, and again, I think, by the way, I, whether I was I, right or wrong, doesn't I matter. hate that. I think fundamentally one of the things I get the most angry about companies at companies for doing, and we've touched on this a couple of times is like people sticking their necks out and then the, like, which is what you want people to do. This, it's like, the, again, yes. there's this zero sum game that companies play with this stuff where it's like the, the, the alternative, by the way, if you go too far on the, like, Hey, take care of yourself first. Then what happens is sticking your neck out becomes dangerous. Going to the high priority thing becomes dangerous because if you're on a project that you're really stoked about and your manager likes you and you like your manager and everything's hunky-dory and you're kind of moving up into the right and like you're safe and there's low risk and all this stuff and that's what's actually best for you, then now the company actually has very little means of solving its most integral problems and what the incentive has now moved to a place where people it's you're actually incentivized to take care of yourself and by the way i had on some of those like house on fire projects i had people reputable people at the organization come up to me and be like hey man i think you should like not go to this one that whole area of the company is messed up like they're not going to appreciate you like that's going to be a lot of stress for you don't bother and and that felt bad and like and, and by the way thank god that i was a naive fool to a degree <laughs> and was just like i'm gonna do it anything i'm gonna do my duty because it ultimately all turned out well but in this case weirdly if i had been smarter i would have made the suboptimal decision well and that's that, no see, that's a that, terrible outcome that's where i and i want to be really really careful about this because best best is so complex yeah What's your worldview? Because it's going to impact what best is. Is best healthiest? Is best happiest? Is best yeah. most successful? Is it most for the money? company? But most influence, most whatever it is. Like you can pick all these different yeah. definitions. And for me, somebody who is in a really comfortable position and realizes, like, hey, all I have to do is not stick my neck out and just do my job, and I really like it here. I don't actually think that's best for them. Um, I think that there's values. Well, that's where it gets really complicated. <laughs> yes. Um, there are like values no, the, at play. The, uh, the best for you versus what you want is uh, yes. delicate. And actually, I think, by the way, exactly. with, with all this remote work stuff and oh my you know, the, the great resignation, I think that, like, I, I again, I don't want to throw hand grenades. And I'm not – I. I know that sometimes when we talk about this stuff, I can come off as cynical. I'm I'm really not. By the way, I just want to make clear for anybody who's listening to this, I think the great resignation, as it were, is probably going to turn out to be one of the most important and positive watershed events in corporate America in the last 50 years. Like, I really believe that. Um, like, little things, like managers <laughs> learning the hard way that they actually need to, like, coach and take care of their people yeah. as part of their job because if they don't, they're gonna lose them, is an incredibly positive outcome. Like I believe mm -hmm. in this stuff, right? Um, but like back to what we were talking about, I just think it's worth us all remembering that what we want isn't always actually the thing that's best for us and that that applies to work as yes. well. Well, and, and I think, you know, we have so many examples. What I want to do on a Friday morning is sit at home. What I should do is go to the gym. 
Yeah. Um, exactly. What I want to do yeah. is go eat a cookie. What I should do is maybe just have either a, like some blueberries or whatever. Like what else. I like, want to do is turn my camera off in the Zoom meeting with a cardboard cutout of me. Yes. Uh, and while while I eat chips in my sweatpants, and but right. what I should do is probably show up and engage because you know exactly. There's yes. meaning to this and gathering so of people trying to do something. Yeah. And I think, like, honestly, not everybody buys that. Not everybody buys yeah. that there's a difference between what I want and what's best for me. Yeah. And and I think it's a limiter to the maturity of, of everybody. So when you're describing that situation, I'm like, well, what is actually best for the person? It's not, hey, I found the cushiest, safest thing. Is that what's best for me? No. And part of this comes back, like, you know, I believe in absolute truths. I believe there's absolute moral values. Um, our ability to grasp them is complicated and difficult. But if you're not ever able to stand on principle when you see something wrong, I actually think that's not just bad for your organization. That's also bad for you. Um, Being willing to believe something enough or value something enough, have principles and values and care about the people around you to the point where you're willing to contend for them, fight for them, get into conflict for them, I think that's actually a key part of being a good leader and employee. And this is, this is, I, I wanted to hit one thing real quick on the like, yeah. you don't owe the company anything, the company doesn't owe you anything. Cause I wanna, there's a reason why I say that. Um, and as I think through this, it's, it's actually about resentment. When I owe somebody something or they owe me something, it's this huge opportunity for bitterness and resentment to emerge. Mm-hmm. If I view the world through that, like, and I know people that have been caught in that trap where they are resentful of their company, but they feel like they owe it or they feel like they, they're they trapped or anything where you feel like, and, and owing is in some ways the same thing as being trapped. Yeah. Um, if you feel that way, then you're going to, you, you're, you're allowing a huge pipe of potential resentment and bitterness and cynicism into your life. And it's because you're you're externalizing your reality to, yes. to aspects of your reality. You're allowing yourself to fall out of being responsible. Yes. And by the way, companies yeah. can feel like they owe individuals something. Yeah. And the same thing happens. You start resenting the company starts resenting the individual. Well, we yeah. owe that person. They really helped us out. Well, no, you don't owe them. They don't owe you. You as the company pay them, they as the employee work. Like that's the arrangement. And the, and it's, it's so I'm, I'm not simplifying it because like that's capitalism and that's the base. Like you said, like it's not that that's untrue. It's just that you go down to that layer so that I, when I express loyalty and care for the company as an individual, it's not out of obligation. I can take responsibility now. Mm-hmm. And when I take care of my employees as the company, it's not out of obligation to them. It's not out of, oh, I owe them or something. It's because I care about them and because I value being a successful company. And then the reward structure is around incentivizing the stuff that's best for everybody, right? So I want to actually step shift. So so what we've just done or tried to do, um, albeit a little philosophical, but I think it really is philosophical in nature, is we've kind of gone over like what the backdrop of this is like the reality of like what it means to show up for work. If somebody's reporting to you or you're reporting to somebody like kind of the very just core foundations of that and the frameworks for thinking about again, what's important and how do you balance your personal growth or their personal growth against the company's objectives and all the stuff worth thinking about and developing your own opinions on. Um, we're going to talk about what we view are the four principal pillars of management 
There may be more, and we'd love to hear from you if you feel like something's missing here. But those four pillars are growth, integrity, and integrity may not be what it sounds like. We'll go into that more in a second. Accountability and advocacy. So as we've talked about like what the optimal relationships are between a manager and a direct report, um, we've talked about these four things, these four buckets emerged. And so let's kick it off by first talking about growth and what growth means, because we have touched on it already. Yeah. And we prioritize these, by the way, like mm -hmm. growth was number one for both of us. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many elements to growth. And it's funny, we talked about what's good for a company or their company view versus the personal view. Yeah. And I actually feel like amalgamating those two perspectives into one journey that a person can take is actually part of what a good manager does. Yes. And that that's, I think that's also where, you know, the reality is that, like you said, you and I, even if we're one, two, two, one, there's so much overlap in how we approach so many of these situations. Because man, if I ever was in a company where they were like, nah, you know, Jenny's just really good at doing what she does. We're just going to leave her there indefinitely because she's so good at it. We, she'd be impossible to replace. We'd be like, heck no. Like, where, what can she grow into? How, like, if you think you're getting value out of her now, imagine her or anybody five years from now, if they were learning and expanding their ability to positively impact the organization. Anytime you settle for not growing your people for any length of time beyond like a couple of weeks, it's a loss because that's compounding interest all the way. And, you know, that that's also where I think, um, I mean, you and I, agree on this one as well, which is, you know, think about this in this context of, of what's most important, um, up or out, right? Like, and, yeah. and if, if you're, there's a point where I think that's no longer important, but when you're an associate, you bring in an associate, you don't want them to stay an associate inside of your organization for 10 years. You, even if they're like, well, they're a really good associate. No, like, because that's, there's potential to be so much more. And, and you want people striving for that potential. You want them growing because that's the growth is the win-win. And again, the way I think about that, when we talk about combining those two perspectives, the company's ROI is parabolic if a person keeps growing over time. Because I really believe this, that every unit of investment that a company or a manager makes in an employee um, that is has a meaningful impact on their growth will pay itself back fivefold. I really believe that. Mm -hmm. And so there's a opportunity cost for managers, a clear opportunity cost on behalf of the organization, by the way, for managers that don't actively grow their people. Yes. So if you're not actively growing your people, if you have five direct reports and all you do is sort of task manager them and, and they, they don't have frameworks for like actually being more competent, like you should be constantly feeling like you have to stay a couple steps ahead of them so they don't eat your job. Yes. That should be the feeling that you have. And, and by the and, way, and, and if by the way, it's not just your job. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, and it and again, there's a whole separate conversation about whether or not your company would look down on you for that outcome. Sure. That's a that's a poor incentive for you. But it's not just about them growing in their careers. That is a big part of it. It's also about ROI for the company. Yes. Like that is that is like one of the cheapest ways for a company to improve improve its productivity, actually. Because mm -hmm. hiring people is one of the most expensive and risky things a company can do. And so mm -hmm. if you grow from within, 
you are, that is like, I don't, you, regardless of what you think of the effort required to do that, and I'm not saying it's trivial, it's it's expensive, Sorry. it's way less risky and way more profitable than you bringing people in from the outside. I, I, I believe that. I've seen so many examples of both. And, and I believe in the net, absolutely. Yeah. If you can, if you um, can grow better. talent from within, it's, it's, yeah, there's, there's so much. And, and by the way, that, like I said, that's the win-win. And this, I, I kind of, I don't know if this is the right time, but I want to bring up this idea too, that um, you, by focusing on growth, like the mistake that you see is managers who focus on the success, mm-hmm. like the short-term success. And actually, I want to touch on the thing um, of, as a manager, your job is not to be responsible for your direct report success um, or even their growth. It is to set up an environment where they can grow and succeed. Um, that That is what you do, and that's how you relate to growth. That like there's there's mentoring that's involved in that. There's expectation setting. There's looking for opportunity. There's communicating. Like a lot of things we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, but um, fundamentally, you are trying to go on the journey with them as they become a better and better person down the path that they've chosen. Because I mean, I think you and I have both had it happen where someone's like, "I was in this career field and I wanted to switch to this career field," and you're like, "Oh, that took me by surprise." Um, what do you do about that? And letting growth, growing into a new role, growing more in the role that you already have, growing into a higher level position. Like all of these are things that your manager is ideally assisting you with and caring very much about without taking responsibility for. And by the way, the reason you don't take responsibility for their success and their growth is because if you do, they can't. Um, If it's about you and you succeeding via their success, then you start actually manipulating their world. Um, you need to let them go discover their own destiny, as it were. They need to be responsible for their own growth. They need to be responsible for their own success. 100%. And I think um, we often talk about the responsibility of managers in that scenario being to create the frameworks and, the, and, and, and sort of illuminate the path forward for them or the paths forward for them. Like, here are the three paths you could take. And here's what they look like. Yes. Um, and again, par- there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is that you've already walked that path. So presumably you have a better idea of what hacking through that foliage looks like. Yep. Um, number two, um, you're going to need to be able to, well, we are not going to talk about advocacy yet, or maybe even today, um, but you're going to need to, in order to advocate for that person, you're going to be able to, you're going to need to see their trajectory along that journey. One of the things that I, I'm, I think limits a lot of managers from having effective advocacy is that they don't actually have a clear understanding of where their employee is wanting to go, needs to go, should go, what where the company needs them to go, yep. et cetera, et cetera. And so therefore, when they are in a situation where they need to speak on behalf of that person, they have no context with which to do it. So, so all it's the same as anything, it's same as any product. You have to have a vision. You have to know exactly. where you're going. You don't actually, you path. can't assess where the person is if you don't have a path. And yes. so I think you creating that path is a critical part of, of growth. And so that the framework is a, is a piece of that. Um, and I think another piece of that is again, ensuring the, the company's ROI, um, like the company's making an investment in every single person that's there. So you ensuring the company's ROI. And then I think, again, we understand that um, it's uh, um, autonomy, mastery, purpose, the three mm-hmm. things that drive 
someone's engagement at work. Like these are the th- three things that sort of provide that energy and joy for us. Uh, mastery, growth is mastery. It, growth and mastery will go hand in hand, mm-hmm. right? Like yes. if I, I'm always nervous when I see somebody, it's like that guy's been crushing that same thing for six years now and he's got it on autopilot. Yeah. And there's not a single challenge that can be thrown at him and on that team that he hasn't already seen. That it's person does not... That person's mastery element of their job is diminishing every day. So do we want to move on to integrity? Yeah, let's talk about integrity. And I think we're probably going to have to come back next time and talk about accountability and advocacy. So again, growth, integrity, accountability, advocacy. Let's talk about integrity because actually integrity is really interesting. It's it's something I think that felt new to me when it came up to us. Like we 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 yeah. actually didn't land initially on the word integrity. We started talking about a lot of things that seemed to matter, and we were like, "There's a bucket here. There's a bucket here. What is it?" Um, one of the things that Ben brought up that I appreciated so much is this idea that when you create frameworks for growth as a manager, and by the way, a piece of that framework could be, what are your opinions on what associate means, what mid means, what senior means, all of these things, right? You, ha- you have an understanding of what qualitatively those roles represent and what capabilities a person needs to have to be in each role, to succeed in each role. What- you haven't just helped illuminate a path for them, which can lead to growth, like we were just talking about, but what you've also done is created a baseline that you can reuse. So if you have six or seven different reports, you can reuse that those frameworks and actually most people will appreciate the consistency of that. Yes. And one of the things that came up was this idea of fairness. And it's so interesting. What The word fairness is a, a little bit of a trigger word for me because, you know, I grew up in that like, well, life isn't fair, boy, kind of household. But what's so interesting is um, as we were talking about this, it just reminded me of a study that I saw with the capuchin monkeys. You know about this? Where they had a bunch of capuchin monkeys in a stage, in a, in a stage, in, a, in cages, and they were giving them unequal amounts of like bananas or something like that. And and these are not – they're a very social species. They're primates just like us. But they're very far less advanced on the like intelligence chain right. uh, even amongst other primates. And they were immediately uh, emotionally responding to the idea that, hey, monkey in cage B got twice as many bananas as I got. What the hell, man? And the the scientists were fascinated by it because they realized that, A, fairness was something that there there was high levels of awareness of at even much baser levels of intelligence than we previously thought. And B, that there must be, the, the, the logical conclusion is that there must be an evolutionary imperative mm. to our understanding of fairness. I will say there's there's very little that's more frustrating for me than when I see somebody else that's subject to a different scale of performance than I am. Yeah. And and it's by the way it's not necessarily just like well that guy got promoted faster than I did. Like I'm not I don't tend to envy like that generally speaking. 
but I do feel frustrated when I feel like my baseline is changing all the time or when I can't really anticipate how many bananas I am going to get for doing a certain thing or my manager seems to just like be willy nilly and more subject to external expectations than he is my actual performance. And so one day I'm doing really great. And then the next day doing the exact same stuff, I'm not doing great because he got some bad feedback from somebody or whatever it is. That's really frustrating. And by the way, also worth noting, apologize, it's a bit of a rant. Millennials are have been sort of uh, scoffed at in the workplace a lot for being like, I want to be a director in four years because I've been working really hard. That's how it works, right? And then the Gen Xers and boomers come in and they're like, no, that's not how it works. It's way more complicated than that. Yeah. True. Millennials have been often written off in the workplace because – they the, like participation trophy culture, right? Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that's true about millennials that older generations sometimes struggle to understand that may come off as entitlement, but is actually something else. Cause I've managed a lot of millennials. Now I myself, an elder millennial is actually that I think millennials are much more used to frameworks for achievement, like clear, mm. highly clear frameworks for achievement. Where it's like, you do these five things, you get, you level up or you get this badge or like, it's not necessarily that I get a badge for everything I do. It's that I understand in clear terms what I need to do to get the badge because the framework is clear and transparent. Mm -hmm. I think that's actually what most younger generations are hungry for. Sorry, lifetime of grown up playing video games. If you play video (laughs) games, it's probably something you're going to understand. Like we're used to clear for frameworks for achievement, right? You know what you need to do to beat the level. You and learn the boss's patterns and you bop them on the head four times and avoid the fireballs and you win and you beat the game. Like the, like we're used to that that those kinds of frameworks. And so to come full circle, I think, again, those frameworks will help create integrity in your system. And that integrity will create fairness and and an even playing field and, and provide you a consistency, by the way, as a manager that will afford you trust with all the people you interact with. So. Well, it's for me, it's like, what do you want to encourage in your organization? Yeah. There's an argument I've seen for like, we're not going to tell people how to get promoted. We're just going to let them all run around and try to figure it out. And that's part of the, the joy of it. That's part of the, you know, that's part of the adversity of them becoming more and more successful is that they didn't really know what they were doing and they had to like bump their head into all the walls and some of them got fired and some were successful and they didn't really know why, like, or they had to figure out the pattern. And the question is, what does that actually incentivize? Um, like, where do you want people focusing time and effort? Do you want them focusing time and effort trying to understand who's getting promoted and who's not and why? And let me figure out the magic uh, seven, you know, card sequence that'll get me through my boss's next level and, and whatever else, like, because no one really knows. And also, by the way, buried inside of that is honestly, a lot of times it's the people I like that get promoted in the absence of a framework. And so there's huge individual bias that comes into play. Well, gosh, that person's highly effective, but frankly, they get on my nerves. This person's been in a much lower scope role, but I really like them and they seem to really like listen to what I say. So I'm going to promote them instead. Maybe people aren't doing that consciously in their head, but you better believe that stuff comes into play. And you and I both saw it because we tended to have frameworks for promoting those that reported to us. And when we engaged with those that didn't around this, we were often asking questions 
well, what's your framework? Or like, why is that? Wait, why this person, not that person? And there would there wouldn't be a good answer, actually. And again, it wasn't malicious. It wasn't like they'd thought through it. It was just something like, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. And we're like, that's your job as yeah. a manager. Your job as a manager yeah. is to interact with your direct reports with integrity. And with yes. that, we mean consistency. We mean fairness. And to ensure, clear, do your clarity. part to ensure the system has integrity too. Yes, I think. because if if it does not, then you are going to endlessly frustrate some of your people and other people are going to not know why they were successful anyway. Exactly. And, 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 and actually, I'd say that there's probably a higher correlation between that frustration and higher performers because higher performers are going to be really focused on value and anticipating frameworks that reward value. Yes. Because that's what high performance is. It's adding more value. And so yes. if your frameworks are not creating integrity or you have no frameworks... So, so you can't ensure you have integrity. What that's likely to lead to is your highest performers being consistently frustrated that they're, that the reward that they're receiving is non-commensurate with the value that they're adding. And that's one of the worst outcomes you can possibly have yeah. as a manager, I think. Um, and like really, truly it is. It's that I've seen this literally destroy organizations. Mm -hmm. It's like you lose all those people your Pareto dis distribution, you lose the, you lose the, those people specifically. One of those people can literally be worth 10 yeah. of not those people. Yep. You lose and that one person, you like, you have really screwed up. Like right. not losing those people and keeping them happy is like the prime directive for you as a manager. Yeah. And I think that is made so much easier if you can explain to them why you're making the decisions you're making about raises about mm -hmm. promotions, yeah. about like, hey, I want to go do something else. How do I respond? Um, you know, it, I respond differently if someone comes to me and they're like, hey, I want to shift disciplines to something else. Um, if they're a really high performer, I'm like, okay, how do I help you yeah. stay here? If you're a really low performer, I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea for you. I think you need to prove that you can do this because frankly, I can't in good conscience, again, with integrity, um, because integrity doesn't just go towards the employee, it goes towards the employer as well. Like I have to, as the manager, I'm in some, to some sense, a bridge between the two. I have to treat both fairly. Mm -hmm. um, I might have to tell you like, hey, I, I know you want to shift, you know, careers. Now is not the right time for that, at least not right, not here. One of the things that struck me, you mentioned this earlier, that I think is is a worthy point to to mention, is you said that it's it's imperative for the responsibility over growth and success to be on the individual employee. I think it's worth, I, I agree. I think it's worth noting that if your system is a high integrity system with clear frameworks, you are making that a hell of a lot easier for everyone that works for you. Like the chances that they fall out of personal responsibility and can externalize the reasons why they're not successful go up yes. dramatically. If you're, if you have no frameworks or you have no, you can't explain to them why they're not getting promoted or you can't explain why Sally got a raise, but Jim did not. Like if you don't have answers to these things, mm -hmm. the chances that they just go, you know what, what's the point? Like clearly what I do doesn't matter. Clearly I'm subject to a system I don't understand. And, um, and again, we've all been there. So like this, this just from your own empathy, I, I can't imagine many people who have had a career that's more than five years have not been in this situation at some point or felt these feelings. 
Yeah. And again, those feelings take you out of a place of responsibility. And having highly responsible employees who own their own journeys is the best possible outcome you could have. One of the worst experiences I ever had was when all I could get out of my manager was that I was doing a good job, but no clarity as to why. Yeah. No clarity as to what did that mean for me. And by the way, this is something too, where if you're a manager of more junior people, you have to also teach them to ask these questions. Um, and this is where I, I don't I don't buy the just let your people flounder around figuring it out and the ones that figure it out can be promoted and the ones that don't can't um, because there's huge personality differences and like diff different sort of characteristics that people bring to the table. And some people are like, okay, okay, he says I'm doing well. Great, I'm just going to keep doing that. No, teach them to ask like, what does it mean for me to get to the next level because I'm interested in that? And if they don't ask, tell them like, hey, are you interested in getting to the next level? If they say no, not right now, maybe that's fine. Maybe they've got a lot to learn at the level they're at. Totally okay. Uh, it doesn't mean, you know, up and out doesn't mean like, hey, you have to, you know, everybody has to be the CEO someday. That's just, there's just, there's not enough CEO roles for that. By the way, um, I, I want to note something that just came up for me as you were saying that, which is that I think that I've noticed, I've asked that question quite a few times in my career. And I've noticed that with very few exception, that has made the person on the other side of the table very uncomfortable, i.e. my manager. That that's a very uncomfortable question for them to answer. What does it mean for me to pre be promoted? Or like what it, like what would I have to do to get promoted? Yes. Like I feel I've even had managers just literally just go, "Oh, Aaron, of course you had to ask me that." Mm -hmm. Like you're are you you're really pardon the phrase busting my balls here, Aaron. You had to go and ask that question. That cannot be your attitude as a manager. That should not be must no. not be your attitude. At, like humble yourself and view that as that person doing you a favor, that report doing you a favor to illuminate what should you should feel responsible for, which is knowing the answer to that. You shouldn't even need to be prompted for that. You should have those frameworks in your head. You should be seeking to have a high integrity system because yes. if they don't know the answer to that, regardless of whether like maybe they're totally incompetent and you've sat them down and shown them your 20 point framework six times and they still don't get it. Different problem. Probably not what we're talking about here. Yeah. Seriously, take that as an opportunity for, to, as a reflection of, of the way you show up as a manager, because that is a really terrible feeling to be the employee in that situation and to feel like you're inconveniencing the organization by asking how you're being assessed. Yeah. There, so I'd say the most common fail state in this space of integrity, like which again, consistency, clarity, fairness, all these things is simply not having the frameworks, yeah. not having the information to provide. The second one that I see most often that, that companies will fall into is it becomes like a giant checklist. Yeah. And I, as I check off all the boxes, then I get promoted. And it's like, no, this is not an, it, in some sense, and I, I hate to say this, being, pr promoting somebody is a judgment call. And that doesn't mean that it's just intuitive and you shouldn't be able to explain yourself. You should. And when you, when someone comes at you and you're like, I don't feel comfortable promoting you, even though you've checked all the boxes I've given you, then you need to figure out what you haven't put down and try to capture it. Yeah. Um, so that you can communicate that to others. But And by but, the way, I think that might expose that your framework is missing a layer. Exactly. Because, yes. And that, and that layer may be like, again, really what, if you wanted to summarize this, really what we're talking about is like, I want you to be able to go out into the world quote unquote, and do 
this, have this kind of an impact. Like if there were an easy way to communicate that with all contexts relevant, we would communicate it that way. Yes, it's very hard to communicate. If you have a checklist at all, which a lot of these big companies have around this stuff, it must be in service to that impact. Just like when we're talking about work or stuff or tasks versus value, like the value is what matters. Somebody should demonstrate value and that's how they should get promoted, not demonstrate stuff because you can demonstrate stuff and provide no value whatsoever. Exactly. Well, and some of those checkboxes, I mean, spent two years in previous, like, who cares? That's not important for value. What you're talking about is an experience. There's an experience and a wisdom that you want them to derive from the experience, skills and capabilities you want them to derive from experience. But if they had that from some previous part of their career or whatever else, the two years thing doesn't matter. And there's all these little things like let an X person size team. That one kills me, man. When people associate the size of the team with the complexity of the position. I'm just like, oh All my of our teams God. started getting really big. What happened? Yeah, yeah, not, yeah that too. <laughs> but um, talk about incentivizing the wrong thing. Um, and, and I think what we're, so that's what we mean when we say frameworks. We're not talking about like, here are the seven things you need to do and go and tick all the boxes. And then once you've ticked all the boxes, we have to promote you. No, it's always a judgment call. And that means that it could, yeah, it could be demonstrated that, capabilities. Like, like I feel like that's the way I my frameworks were yeah, demonstrated well, capabilities. Some of the things I would say is like, look, you know, let's say you're trying to go from associate to mid, uh, and I'm and you're reporting to me as a production person or a dev manager or leader of some type. One of the things I'm going to be looking for, um, how wide is your awareness? Are you aware of more than your team? I expect a mid to be aware of more than their team and perhaps even solving problems that are external to their team. I don't expect that in an associate. I expect an associate to be to be focused inside. Um, if you're going mid to senior, uh, that's a big deal. Um, I expect you to be known by some amount of the organization because a senior, and, and this is, you know, people be like, ah, that's ridiculous. No, you need to be credible to be a senior. You must be credible. And so, and I don't, that wasn't that complicated, actually. A lot of times it was by me working with that person on putting together a really great presentation that they gave that everybody was like, whoa, that person's really sharp. Boom. You just made it that much easier for me to promote you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's also where it's not just about skills. It's about, there's, you know, we were talking about this earlier and we don't have time to really dive into it, but politics are real. Like, and you can view them as bad. You can view them as good, whatever. Human systems. When lots of people get together, politics emerge. And as a manager, you're interacting with those politics as you think about raises and promotions and all those things. Everybody is. We all need to be aware of that. And so when I'm when I'm asking, like, what does it take for you to be promoted? It's, yes, set of skills, capabilities, demonstrated value. It's also like, have do I have the ammunition? And by the way, that's that's on me too, to be your advocate, to put you in situations where you can generate that ammunition so I can promote you. But if I don't have any ammunition for you because you've just been working off in a corner on your own and nobody in the company knows who you are, it's that much harder for me to promote you to a senior, even if you're worth that. Again, some people are like, no, it shouldn't work that way. Well, it does. It really does. And by the way, I think you being known to the company as capable is actually, it's way better 
to be promoted in that position than to be promoted before anybody knows who you are. And it's funny because this is this is another point that you're making that we've t- we've talked about when we were discussing this frame this framework of the four principles of management. Um, one of the things that came up is a lot of the individual examples Ben's giving a couple of them right now actually laced into several of the principles, and I think actually. Uh, the the awareness, the organizational awareness around the politics and the sort of what does it mean to be seen as credible and these things are also like you owning that as a manager and taking responsibility for educating your people on the realities of that is actually part of the high integrity system we're talking about. Yes. So I think it does. It also does tie into it it ties. What Ben was referencing earlier is it also ties into advocacy, the last thing we're going to go into, but it also ties into integrity. Um, which is, you know, you can't really have a high integrity system all the way up and down the ladder, actually, unless there's awareness and discussion around the realities of politics. Exactly. Yeah. So um, thanks for joining us today. In summary, we're going over the four principles of effective management as uh, the four focal areas. And Today, we covered two, the first two, growth and integrity. And so hopefully we gave you a good impression about what those were. Um, To summarize really quickly, growth is basically your ability to create a clear and clean and valuable trajectory for each of the people that reports to you. And to illuminate, help them illuminate that path forward so that they understand that path and can take responsibility for that path. The second, integrity, is about basically uh, making sure the competition is uh, – I'm using a, a, the, the word competition there with quotes – is sort of well understood, knowable, and understandable by everybody so that there's a perception of fairness and consistency because that's motivating, right? And so you basically taking the time and energy to – create awareness around how all the systems work, what all the systems are, and making sure that they're intellectually honest and that they're morally honest so that people feel like they can engage with them with integrity. So that's what we call a high integrity system. Uh, Next time, we're going to talk about accountability and go into some detail about what that is. And we have before, we won't cover it in too much detail, but it is one of our principles because it's the chain that binds all of us together at every layer in an organization and then advocacy and that which will be a fun one because that's one that's actually very complex and very social so we'll see you next time on building better games thank you for joining us thanks for listening to building better games with aaron and ben if you have comments questions or would like to work with ben and aaron shoot an email to info at valarinconsulting.com That's info at V-A-L-A-R-I-N consulting.com. Please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Valarin Inc. We'll catch you next time.